Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording... There's a few people who have uh, come to our stage and told stories before, and they've done it like one or two times. And then there's a few people who are, who are regulars, and then there's a few people who I would say are, are institutions of the Tell Me More storytelling show here at the Push Comedy Theater, and your next performer is one of those people. So I would love it if you could give the warmest round of applause for Harvest Belante. All right, guys. Uh, I'm going to try not to talk about puking uh, here, but I know, yeah. Uh, but I do have, I think I, I kind of am noticing a theme for all of us so far that have been up here, and it, it bodes well for you college students. I think we are all examples of cautionary tales um, for you and what to avoid. So, um, and, and mine goes hand in hand with that. I looked at this particular theme, and I thought gluttony, to me, that was a no-brainer. Glutton for punishment. When, if I examine my life, when have I been a glutton for punishment? Um, So I'm going to take us back to 2003. I was living in California, originally from California, born and raised. I had completed my undergrad degree, and I had completed the second year of my master's degree, which was a program, a film and television production program, Chapman University. Um, You basically did two years of classwork, culminating that last spring semester, there was a big competition. You submitted a screenplay. One of them won an award of $5,000. And then the rest of the classmates that didn't win, aka the losers, were forced to work on your film and produce it for you um, in order to get their coursework credit. So um, if that tells you kind of how popular the winner was, (laughs) and that was me, um, I got $5,000 to put together a film. And... By the time I finished that semester, I was emotionally drained. Like I said, it's tough when you've got all your fellow classmates who have lost the competition having to now work on your project and act like they're happy for you. Um, Those of you, if anyone's in those types of more competitive programs, that's not usually the way it works. Not to mention that I was also financially drained. Uh, This was 2003. This was a 12-minute film that ran me roughly $13,000 by the time all was said and done. And and that's pretty typical. So I won the $5,000. My credit card took on the rest. And that's, that's just a drop in the bucket for where I was at this point in my life because I had just gotten through two years of doing these smaller projects. So it's the end of the semester. Everybody else pretty much that I graduated with was going up to Los Angeles. They were going to room together. They were going to try to get into the industry and kind of break in and work their way up. Um, I had some good momentum going for me because I had won this contest. Chapman was kind of standing behind me. I was, I was touted as their it girl, the one to watch. So I probably could have ridden that wave a little bit. However, I'm online and, like I said, emotionally drained at this point, financially drained, and I'm looking and I go, oh, okay, wow, summer job. Pirates Cove Beach Camp Counselor, $9 an hour. 
think you know what I chose. Resume submitted. This makes a lot of sense for someone who has no money and no professional experience. So, yes, let's go be a camp counselor. Has anyone ever been, um, done a, a camp before, like been a camper or camp? Okay, a few people. All right. Um, yeah, so I actually had never gone to camp. I did not know what that was like. I had never gone away to camp. My mom was a teacher, so she uh, was home during the, the summers, didn't need to send us anywhere. And I looked at this, and I thought, okay, this is just going to be a fun opportunity. I can kind of just, like, emotionally, like, just check out, have fun on the beach all day. This sounds good. So submitted my resume, got hired. Um, show up the first day. And we're doing training. The camp was run by a woman. She was a kindergarten teacher throughout the year. And during the summer, she did this camp. And our training, the first thing I noticed about the other camp counselors, were a little different. I'm a little bit older than most of the camp counselors. They were understandably undergrads that were usually home during like a summer um, from their first or second year of college. I was, like I said, already in a master's program. So, okay, I'm a little little older than they are. Um, They are a little blonder than I am. They are a little more beachy. Um, I, there is kind of a, a strict rule. It's, it's an un, unwritten rule in Southern California, Orange County, but you don't go on the beach, really, if you are over a size five. So I really hadn't been on the beach much in my life. Um, but these girls, they, they, they wanted to get out on the beach. They were excited. They thought, oh, good, we can't wait to get out there and get our tans and hang out with the kids and get in the water. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there going, yeah, um, I am uh, going to keep my clothes on because I know about the rules of South Orange County. And I also know that uh, as far as getting in the water, I have not been in the water past my ankle since about age six when I watched Jaws. And if there's a child in front of me who is drowning, I definitely will holler and be like, hey, hey, blonde, come on over, get him, get him, I'll help you pull him in. But I'm not going in past my ankles. So it was a little, we were already a little different right from the start. But these were, these were nice kids. For the most part, everybody that I worked with was, was really pleasant. And we started our training day. Chris, the owner of the camp, says, okay, first thing you guys are going to do, we're going to take you through a day of beach camp. We're going to teach you, um, basically, you're going to go through it like the kids do. We'll teach you step-by-step step what to do. Um, first thing she says, a couple of tips. Here's how you wrangle kids. If they're being squirmy and you need to count them, which happens, you know, you play the statue game and you yell, statue, and then they all get into a statue and they freeze and then you have to count them and that's the game. So immediately I'm like, okay, this is good. Let me commit to this. So she yells, statue, and I go, okay, Rodin. What's my best Rodin thinker? I'm doing the thinker. And she comes over, oh, Harvest, that's so Oh, great, Rodian, it's the thinkers, the thinker. And I kind of look up to see what my other counselors have done, and they're kind of like this or this. Um, they're a lot cooler than I am. They, they, <laughs> I <laughs> immediately, it was already like flashbacks, like, oh, God, <laughs> I'm best friends with the, the school librarian. You know, that's, <laughs> that's kind of the way this goes. All right, well, So, nonetheless, she took us through the day of the camp and um, tried to prepare us. Not a lot can prepare you, though, for an actual day of a summer beach camp. So, the rundown is this. Camp is from 7.30 in the morning till 5.30 at night. We supervised 55 kids, ages 4 to 13, on the beach 
all day long. Um, if that doesn't make you a little bit anxious, then let me tell you that what on Wednesdays, that was the one day that we did not stay on the beach. That's when we took the little darlings on the bus to excursion day, which was usually something like Knott's Berry Farm, Wild Rivers, Disneyland. Try taking 55 children <laughs> uh, to Disneyland in the middle of summer and you just kind of hope you don't stroke out with the panic that you're going through all day long that these kids are going to get kidnapped or, or um, broken arms or anything like that. It was, that was how the camp was set up. Um, in the mornings, so in the mornings, pretty easy. The couple of guy counselors that we have tended to not be as many men coming out for this, which is probably still maybe typical, seemed to be something that was primarily uh, women getting employed. But the couple men that we had, they would always be sent down to the beach uh, to start setting up the tarps for the kids for the day, while the rest of us would kind of get the kids at drop-off and basically wrangle them, um, take them to last-minute bathroom breaks, sunblock their faces. And what I learned quite quickly is that I also had to explain to these kids every day, no, no, sweetie, your parents aren't trying to torture you, because they would come up and drop off their 7-year-old and unload, here, sweetie, here's your beach bag, here's your backpack, here's your lunch bag, Here's your spare flip-flops. Here's your sand toys. Here's your boogie board. Here's your spare hat. And these seven-year-olds are like, okay, what do I do? And so our job became, we, we were basically like, if you can imagine, once we got these kids wrangled and sunblocked, um, we took a long line of 55 kids and walked them down to the beach. And we're acting kind of like Sherpas, right, on the way to Everest, basically laden down with all of their crap that their parents have given them throughout the day and, go, and assuring them it'll be fun. And then we're trudging through the sand, trying to get there and trying not to trip. Finally, you get to the camp. Drop everything. Um, the way that we set it up, it was very well structured. So I will give Chris a lot of credit. Kindergarten teacher makes sense. She structured it pretty, pretty carefully. Um, three people always sat in front on beach chairs to watch the water at all times. They had whistles. They had flags. Three people sat in the back, watched the kids in the tarps. Uh, they were, you know, playing games, making sandcastles. I was usually in the back. I had a great time doing that. Um, a lot of kids were playing Pokemon back then. Like, this was 2003 again, so Pokemon, the card game, was, <laughs> was what was popular. Um, I would make the kids make me sandcastles at the time. I'd be like, here, make me a Harry Potter-themed sandcastle. And they all loved doing it because that's how they got their, the, uh, my, my affections. Um, but also being in the back meant that I was generally the person that had to take them on their bathroom trips. So you grab the bathroom bag. It's chock full of about a two-gallon size thing of hand sanitizer and spare toilet paper. And then my job is to walk to whatever porta potty was closest to us. And this is just a little bit of a, you know, news flash. I don't know how many of you have been on the West Coast or the East Coast beaches and you kind of thought, maybe if you've only been on the East Coast, you're like, I wonder if the porta potties are cleaner and, and more beautiful and refreshing on the West Coast, more glamorous. Um, they're not. <laughs> they're they're pretty much the exact same thing you get here. You kind of I had to try to uh, subvert the 
Orange County homeless population. Hi, guys, you know, come on, kids, don't take anything from the nice man. And we'd get over to the porta potties, and then basically I just held my breath until they came out, and I would bathe them with hand sanitizer. We'd come back, we'd play games. Um, we would do things like go to 7-Eleven once a day for their snacks, so we would walk them all up to 7-Eleven. Um, not a lot of exciting things happened then except for one day. It was, again, we're in Orange County, California. The one day that we uh, happened to go up, and the little boy, one of my little boys, Ricky, points out, hey, there's mom. Why is she asleep in her car? What's going on? Okay. Um, I don't know. Hey, why are the paramedics coming to mom's car? Um, yeah, no, it's not, it's not too traumatic. Um, Ricky's mom had just dropped him off, gone to run a few errands, gone into 7-Eleven to get something, and passed out in her car because she had decided that her cayenne pepper lemon water cleanse had been going so well, she would just extend it another week. And finally, (laughs) you know, she didn't uh, do so well. So they're trying to give her fluids. And I'm thinking, well, good. You know, that wasn't traumatic at all for him to think his mom was dead as we were all standing there in our camp t-shirts or anything. That's all right. Um, So that was the most exciting thing that happened at 7-Eleven. We would sing songs, play games, all the typical stuff that you would do at camp. Um, One of my favorite little uh, boys, his name was Bo, every single goddamn day he would walk down to the edge of the water, kind of dip a little toe in, and before you knew it, ah, harvest, and he'd run back. I've been stung by a jellyfish. I've been stung by a jellyfish. I had yet to see a jellyfish. I went down and investigated every single day, and I don't, I don't know what, what exactly. He, he shrieked for about 10 minutes every time. So um, this, is, this just became part of, part of your daily activities. I came home every day with sand, sweat, sanitizer, smells, just absolutely disgusting. And you're thinking it's going to be glamorous because you're on the beach all day. Um, and yet, you know, you're, you're counting down the days and the summer is coming to an end. And where we get into sort of the glutton for punishment part is that when we were all wrapping up and we finally got through that summer and we survived and the kids survived more importantly, um, Chris calls me up and says, hey, you know, next year, do you want to come back for $10 an hour and be one of the assistant managers? Oh, my gosh, yes, this is great. Let me put my professional um, prospects on hold here and let me continue to be a beach camp counselor. Um, I did that for the next six years. <laughs> um, so uh, it did. It changed a little bit. Things things changed. Eventually, I actually even more punishing to myself and my financial situation. Because one thing I want to point out, if you guys remember all that credit card debt that I was in, is that by virtue of the fact that I now had a summer gig that I had to worry about that was full time. The only thing I could really take on during the year were things like substitute teaching or, you know, reading specialists, little piddly jobs that really didn't amount to much money. Um, So the final kind of nail in my financial coffin is when Chris offered to let me run the camp and actually buy it from her because she met a guy, decided to retire, and go off and do whatever, you know, kindergarten teachers do. 
And I actually thought this was a good idea. Having had no professional business experience in my life, being a film major and an English major, this, this seemed logical to me. I already knew how to run the camp. Um, I, I did well kind of leave you guys with, with my final synopsis, that the, the beginning of the end, which was that um, the first year went really well running the camp. Um, by the time the second year came in, um, one thing that I want to just point out to everybody, you guys are probably much more savvy than, than I was back then. I always thought that when you, um, you, when you are doing taxes or going to someone to, to do your taxes, um, they do your taxes. That's, that's what they do. And they mail you something in the mail that's like a summary, and you just file it away, and that's, that's what you do. Um, it took the IRS about a year to catch up with me and say, why haven't you paid any of your taxes? I said, well, I thought the tax lady was paying everything. No, she prepares your taxes. She doesn't pay your taxes for you. Um, yes, they have a little word for that. It's called tax evasion. Um, and um, I was very naive by this. Uh, I, I had no concept. And, and my mom, I remember, even said to me kind of, oh, yeah, I wondered if you knew that, that you have to pay quarterly and you have to do that. Um, my mother, I still bug her even today because she's one of those moms who, she lives in California, 3,000 miles away, she'll text me every so often and be like, hey, look out your window, you know, or not... Sorry, she'll, she'll text me and say, hey, it's uh, supposed to be cold today. You should probably wear a sweater. Or I looked on the map and think it's going to rain later. You should be careful. And sometimes I'll say to her, Mom, I actually can look out my window and know what the weather is. What I didn't know was tax law and how I actually should do this. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't have assumed that I knew that, but not assumed that I could gauge the weather accurately 3,000 miles away. I, I kind of tease her about that. But... Um, Eventually, financially, because of some of these hardships, I finally had to let the camp go, and it broke my heart a little bit. It was a, a really fun experience every single day. Um, it was a grueling experience every single day, and when I think about you know punishment and being a glutton for punishment, I still know mentally that if you told me tomorrow, hey, you could, you could set up a camp at Virginia Beach and, and do this... I might just do it, and I might just go out to that damn water and keep looking for those jellyfish every single day. And that's me, a glutton for punishment. Thank you. If you'd like to tell a story like this one, or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, plenty of ways to pitch your story, and our podcast featuring storytellers from previous shows. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.